You're tuned in to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And in today's show, we're going to be telling a love story. Well, actually, we're going to be interviewing someone who will be telling us a love story. Because it's going to be Valentine's Day in a couple of days if you're listening on Tuesday, or it just was. Either way, we want to celebrate love. Exactly. And so we're going to play, well, not too sappy of tunes in the first half of the show. But uh, yeah, love Lots is going love to be songs. the theme. Yeah, so... Anyway, we're going to listen to John Prine, Katie Herzig, The Features, and Ingrid Mickelson. Enjoy! And you're listening to Shift Happens, The Spoken Word. My name is Jeff. And I... Ah, oh, you screwed me up. <laughs> I'm Anna. <laughs> yeah. And this is our Valentine's Week show, and we are interviewing a man named Peter Fritsch. He is telling us his love story, how he met his soulmate. I think you really enjoy it, guys. So you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio with Anna. And <laughs> Jeff. Enjoy. You're tuned in to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio and on the World Wide Web. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And in today's show, we're going to be interviewing a new old friend of mine. I actually met this gentleman a couple months ago through another friend that we interviewed. Actually, for those of you who remember the Ghostbuster, this is someone who was recommended by Val, Val Frazier. And so I contacted Peter. His name is Peter Fritsch, by the way. And we just had an amazing time. And I was really surprised by this, I have to say, because for those of you who are regular listeners of our show, you know how I've beaked off in the past about religion. Well, Peter is an Episcopalian priest. Say that 10 times. Chewing crackers. So anyway, I discovered in our conversations that he really is down to earth and he's also very much a big thinker. He's willing to think outside the box. And I think that has also got him into a little bit of trouble and we'll touch on that. But I have to tip my hat to Peter because he's really proven to be the real deal for me. And so he's in the process. I think he's got a couple of weeks before he ends up moving back stateside. And so I guess maybe we should get a little bit of background. So do you want to fire the first question, Anna? So Peter, you are originally from the U.S. and you decided to move away from the U.S. when you retired. Why is that, that you wanted to move away? Well, um, the short answer is I was ready for a new adventure. The long answer is that when I was uh, uh, 17, 
the summer between uh, high school and university, I, I, I had my own business in high school and I bought an airline ticket and I flew to England and I hitchhiked all over the British Isles and then continental Europe for three months. And I fell in love with Europe. I just um, felt a sense of soul connection. Um, I had a deep spiritual awakening here um, on that trip. And I went back to California to go to school at Humboldt State. And um, uh, my spiritual life took off. And I've always wanted to live here. I've always wanted to have a home in, in Europe. So about eight or nine years ago, uh, I was looking at possibly just a retirement home or a semi-retirement home. Um, and I, I started investigating every country in the European Union, uh, looking at the cost of living, um, how difficult it would be or not to immigrate, um, location, stability of government, public transportation, health care, uh, financial system, real estate, cost of food, gas, electricity, all those kinds of things. And um, it boiled down to two countries. Um, Portugal and Hungary were the most, uh, they fit me the best. But Portugal on the ocean was very expensive. A lot of British people have retired there, and uh, the real estate is very high. But if you go up into the mountains away from the ocean, there's very affordable properties. And the other country was Hungary. Anywhere but downtown Budapest was very affordable. At the time, I could have bought a, uh, a two-bedroom, one-bath home on maybe an acre of land with orchards and room for gardens and this kind of thing in a village. Uh, a modern home, I mean, modern electricity, plumbing, Wi-Fi, all of that, for about $10,000 or less. Wow. And um, and that was pretty common. Um, and that's still true today in some remote villages where you, you can do that. Um, so anyway, I, I, um, Hungary was located to northern Italy and Austria and Germany, and especially Switzerland, which are my favorite parts of Europe. Um, so I, I came and, um, uh, the idea was to have a second home and visit as much as I could, rent it out to friends, have it available for vacation rental, and possibly live half a year here and half a year in Oregon where I was living at the time. And um, so that's what happened. I, um, uh, I came... About seven or eight years ago on my first trip, I found a house on the Internet and um, it was a four bedroom, 100 year old house that was very livable, four bedrooms and uh, living room, dining room, kitchen, so on. Had a horse barn for six, ho six horses in the backyard. Um, the, the house was on about an acre of land and then there was an adjacent 15 acres of land on the edge of the village. And the whole thing was about um, $40,000. Wow. And I put, I put an offer on it and um, 
contingent on seeing it. And so my ex-wife and I flew and checked it out. We spent time in Budapest. And then we went to Western Hungary, south of Lake Balaton, to look at the house. And I, I just fell in love with the country. I fell in love with the people, the culture. Um, I really wanted to buy the house. And my ex-wife hated everything about it. And she didn't, she, she just couldn't relate to it. Felt, uh, she felt very awkward. And uh, we didn't buy it. So we went back and uh, I, all I did was talk about uh, Hungary to all my friends and anybody that would listen. I was just a hung, Hungary enthusiast. And um, my ex-wife said, well, why don't you, we're still married at the time. She says, why don't you uh, go by yourself next time? So I did. I came a year later for a month and I, um, um, landed in Budapest, and then I, I traveled to every major region of the country. The country is about the size of the state of Oregon, and I just went to every area. I did, did a big circle, and I fell in love with a city. It's an old Roman city called Pech. It's in southwestern Hungary near the Croatian border, about three-hour train ride south southwest of Budapest. And uh, I made friends here. And eventually, um, about two years later, I, I uh, took an early retirement and moved and, and made it my home. That was about four years ago. So then you've been recently married in the last couple of years, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, Can you tell the story of how you met your new wife? Sure. Um, when I came, I was a very sick diabetic. I was about 250 pounds. Um, I was taking about 200 cc's of insulin a day, which means shots at night, shots in the morning, and shots before every meal. And um, everybody in my immediate family had died of diabetes, and I was, I was pretty sick. Anyway, I came, and worked hard on just reducing the stress. And the, Hung and the Hungarians have a lot of slow food. We have a, a market here called the Pias. And there's about 200 vendors there every day, Monday through Saturday. And they're selling wholesale uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and meat and uh, seeds and all kinds of spices, all kinds of things. And uh, I started buying fresh produce. It's very affordable, about one-tenth the cost of what it cost in, in, in Oregon. And I started eating better. And um, But before that, weight, I, I eventually lost 80 pounds and had to go off of insulin. I haven't been on insulin for about three years. But uh, before that, I went to a uh, an art exhibition, and there I met a man who invited me to go to a flamingo guitar concert the following Friday night, and I said, okay. So he came and picked me up in his car, and there was a woman with him, uh, and her name is Monica, and I just figured they were a couple, which they weren't, but I didn't know that. And um, we went to this concert, and um, I asked this man, Andras, I said, uh, 
Andres, I've got to find a doctor because I've got to get I've got to get insulin soon and some other meds. And he turned and looked at Monica and he says, "Well, Monica's a doctor." And she says, "Well, my English isn't so hot, and uh, besides, you need a, an intern. It's a specialist. I cannot prescribe for you insulin." And so Andras eventually took me to another uh, MD, and I got the drugs that I needed. And uh, but that was the first time I met my wife. And uh, about a year later, I had lost the weight and was feeling good about myself. I also was afraid of getting a haircut because um, almost all the Hungarian, especially young men, have these really weird. I don't know what they do in Canada or in the states, but in Hungary, they have these real weird mohawk-looking haircuts, or Cupid doll kind of looking haircuts. Hmm. And um, I was afraid to go to a local uh, fodrash or or haircutter and barber because I didn't want to look like that. And uh, so I just kept growing my hair out and growing my hair out, and pretty soon I had a ponytail for the first time in my life. And um, and I've always I've always been kind of a wannabe hippie. So that was my excuse. But um, one day I was in a garden uh, behind some old buildings. There, there's a beautiful garden adjacent to a to a Eterem, a restaurant. And um, I was just kind of meditating there. And what I didn't know is that my wife, Monica, was also there. And she saw me from a distance and thought, I think that's that same unhappy, fat, unhealthy-looking American guy. He looks he looks better. But he's no longer fat and unhappy. Well, I I was I was trim and I was healthy and starting to feel good about myself. I'd been there a year. I'd been here a year. And um anyway, she befriended me on Facebook and I I don't remember this, but Monica says I don't remember I didn't remember who she was. And um, I have been trying very hard to date Hungarian women. I'd been divorced several years, and I, 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 I wanted to at least date, but it was really difficult because I'm at, the, I mean, I'm 65 now, so this is what two and a half years ago. I was 63 or 62, and women even in their 40s. I couldn't find anybody who spoke English because kids who were growing up that were even 10 or 15 or 20 years younger than me were required to learn Russian in school. Um, and English was difficult to come by. It was difficult to learn English in schools. Nowadays, all the young kids, anybody under 40 just about is fluent in English, almost everybody because English is the international language and the Hungarians are traveling all over the world and doing business all over the world in English. But, you know, women closer to my age to date, they just weren't around that I could talk to. And it was really hard. But anyway, um, I asked uh, Monica on, on uh, Messenger texts, I asked her in English if she would... Uh, go out for a coffee or a glass of wine or something with me. And she said, no. And, um, uh, so 
So then I asked her, well, the guy that you were with, I've run into him in the city. And I asked him, I said, is Monica, you know, who... I said, you and Monica were together at that Flamingo concert. What's the deal? He says, oh, she's my woman. She's my partner. And I said, oh, okay, well, she's not available. So I was kind of curious why she befriended me on Facebook. But she said no. And she said no about one or two more times. I don't remember. And finally, at the end of that summer, um, I asked her again if she, she was, ha oh, I know, I text her. I text her back and forth. Now, the reason the text is important is because I'm texting in English and she could take my text and cut and paste it into Google Translate. And she could write back to me in Hungarian and I could cut and paste that into Google Translate and I could follow what she was saying. So the, the conversation is in two different languages. Um, and she explained to me, no, I when you met me a year ago, I had been broken up with that guy for, for two years. So she was, um, she was um, not partnered. So anyway, I, I asked her again. And finally, I think the third time around, we did have a, a glass of wine together at the same garden, Eilzim, Eiterim. And it was on a warm summer night. It was a very awkward two hours because I couldn't speak Hungarian. I'd been taking lessons for a year, but I could barely make myself understood about anything. And, and Monica was, had taken English lessons a lot off and on. Um, but as a medical doctor and raising two sons alone, she, um, she wasn't able to do it consistently. And um, so anyway, we couldn't talk very well. And we tried and face to face, you know, you got body language, you've got, you've got the, the facial expressions the skin color flushing or not, you know, those, all those things that help with communication, but it was still difficult. Did you roll your eyes at her too? No, of course not. I didn't roll my eyes. No, of course I didn't roll my eyes. What do you think I am? No. So uh, anyway, uh, he threw me off there. Roll my <laughs> eyes. I didn't roll my eyes at anybody. Um, uh, so we, uh, oh, I asked her, I said again, so are you, uh, you know, what's the deal with this Andras guy? She says, well, he's got another girlfriend. But um, I, I'll, I'll, what she was trying to say was she would always love him just like she would say I would love anybody. You know, I mean, she's a good person. You know how you say, well, you know, I love people. I just, I choose not to be a creep. I just love people, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what she was saying about this guy. But because of her limited English and my non-zero Hungarian, I thought she was saying, I'm, I'm still in love with him, even though he has another girlfriend. That's what I thought she was saying. Well, that wasn't what she was saying. So anyway, I was discouraged and I thought, okay, just one more woman I can't date. And I can't talk to. And in the meantime, I kind of come to a place of accepting that I'd probably be single the rest of my life. And that, that's okay. You know, I've been married for 39 years and it ended in divorce. Um, and I was learning how to live alone, which I think every man needs to learn to do. Yeah. Every woman needs to learn to do. And I was learning to do it. Um. 
so I ended, we ended that date and we said goodbye. And I pretty, I just gave up. I just said, God, you know, don't tease me like this. Don't bring a beautiful, smart, unbelievably cruel Hungarian woman into my life and, and then have it end like this, you know, don't do that. And, um, so that was it. And about a month or so later, I woke up one morning with a strong intuition to invite her for dinner. I, I hadn't thought about it for a month. I'd totally given up. And um, one thing I have learned to do, especially being alone, was listen to my intuition. So I text her, and she texts back, uh, yeah, I'll come, to, I'll, I'll come to your house for dinner. What I didn't know that I found out later is that for a Hungarian woman to accept dinner invitation to a guy's house is not done. It's socially inappropriate. I mean, it basically says, yeah, we'll spend the night together, which is not my intention. Wasn't her intention. Right. But she felt the same intuition that even though she didn't want to, because she was not interested in me. Um, she felt the intuition, her intuition says, accept the invitation and go. And so she came and uh, I'll never forget it. I was waiting out on the, out on the Lodge Nayush, uh, Kirari Usa, this big boulevard in front of my flat. I, I lived in a big 10 story apartment building and I was waiting out front, all these cars going by, a million people and looking in the direction from where I thought she lived. And up behind me comes this person and they tap me on the shoulder. I turn around and here's this just beautiful, beautiful woman with this, the coolest smile. You can just, I, I just, I can see it like it happened this morning. Most beautiful smile. And she says, hi. And she had parked somewhere else and come up the back way. And so anyway, we had dinner. She liked my food. I cooked uh, stuffed cabbage, Hungarian stuffed cabbage in a crock pot and she liked it. And um, I got my guitar out. I sang some songs to her. She sang some songs with me. And we had our laptop. I had my laptop and she had her phone and we, we text when we couldn't understand each other. We, what I'm remembering is we used the Google translate for part of the conversation and we became friends. It was about a five or six hour dinner. So after that, um, she invited me to her birthday party, which again is not Hungarian protocol. For birthday parties, Hungarians only invite family. And the person who gives the birthday party provides all the food and all the drinks, basically gives a party to their family. Right. Um, and no outsiders ever come. For her to invite me as a new person that she just met to her birthday party was a huge breach of protocol. It just isn't done. And I already knew that. Somebody else told me that. And I thought, whoa, she's invited me to her birthday party. That's pretty cool. So I came and I met her family. Her, a couple of her, her two boys were here and they both speak some English. So they said hello to me. Her English teacher was here and she said hello. 
But mostly I just kind of stood around and everybody's talking Hungarian. I don't know what's going on. And Monica's feeding everybody. So after that, I'm going to tell you one more story and then I'm going to stop. Um, at the end of the birthday party, she, I didn't know, but she, she, she knew I was a priest and everything, right? And I, I had never found a church that I liked here in town. They're just so depressing and uh, uh, oppressive. Everything's about guilt and you're a rotten sinner and you burn in hell and this kind of stuff. And I, you know, I'm, I don't need that. So anyway, um, she had called one of her sisters, who's a very devout Roman Catholic, and said, do you know of a decent church service in Page that isn't depressing? And she says, well, yeah, at uh, St. Augustine, or St. Augustine, where Uncle Bela used to, Bela used to be uh, a priest a long time ago, they have a really cool evening mass. The priest is terrible, and the sermon is horrible, but the music is good. They had like a folk mass. And so Monica invited me to go to this folk mass, thinking that she could introduce me to a church and, and help me out. So we went, and um, the place was packed, mostly with very poor people and students. I mean, there was not standing room in this building. It was an old, it's a 500-year-old church that used to be a Turkish mosque, and then the Roman church took it over when the Turks got booted out. And uh, um, very uncomfortable pews and so on. The whole service is in Hungarian, but there's a band. They had guitars, cello players, flutes, violins. I don't know what else. But they played beautiful Taizé music from the uh, monastic community in France. Right. And I knew the Taizé songs. I knew the songs. I mean, I could, I didn't know the Hungarian, but I could sing them in English and in Latin. And so I could join in, you know, I felt like, wow, this is cool. And then during the mass, during the, the Eucharist prayer, the priest is doing his thing. Um, we had to kneel. Everybody kneels and the floor is this old stone floor. I mean, it's as uncomfortable as I'll get out. And, uh, we're kneeling there during the mass, and I felt this overwhelming um, electric energy of the Holy Spirit. And I, I know who the Holy Spirit is. I know what that feels like. I've known it all my life. And uh, I felt this, this energy ball of Holy Spirit flowing from me to Monica and back again, like, like a sphere that joined us during, during this mass. And it was really strange. I've never felt anything like that um, with another person. So after the service, we were, she was getting ready to say goodbye. I was going to, I walked her home and I mentioned it to her. I said, did you feel anything during the service? And I had to look up on Google Translate on my phone to make sure I communicated that correctly. And she wrote me that. She said, yeah, I did. Did you feel that? But what happened was a deep sense of spiritual connection that I knew was God. It wasn't sex, and it wasn't romance, and it wasn't a projection of those things. It was it was the real deal. It was God. And I didn't understand it, and she, she didn't understand it. But there was a deep sense that I've known this woman since I was a little kid. 
I can remember times when I had a numinous experience out in nature in the forest alone or swimming or something where I was alone with God and that sense of aha. And that's what I experienced in, in, in St. Augustine Church with Monica. Mm-hmm. So that was the, I'll stop it there, but that was the beginning of us beginning to explore. Maybe there's something more to our coming together than just friendship between two people. That, I mean, there's the age difference. I was 13 years her senior. And this one, my wife is so beautiful and so intelligent. She's a medical doctor. She could have any man on the universe. Okay, and she could just pick a guy out of the universe and have him if she wants him. And I was just blown away. I'm old. I was older. I got wrinkles. I got, you know, when you're 80 pounds your whole adult life and you lose some weight, you get loose skin. I have a a turkey neck, you know, loose skin underneath my neck. And, um, you know, I hurt when I get up in the morning. I have to do stretches before the pain goes away. I'm, I'm older. And uh, anyway, it was wonderful. That was the beginning. You better stop there because she's probably thinking if she's in the background, what the heck was I doing? She's not home. She she went to Comlo uh, to some coworkers. Uh, uh, okay, they had a party this afternoon, so she gotcha. But even if she was, she would. I mean, she knows, and she she knows what's BS and what's not. So. I'll, you know, it doesn't matter. I, t- I tell the story the way I remember it. If she tells the story, she tells it totally different, which is fine. No, that's not true. She does. A lot of it is the same. She shares it when she tells the story. Her memory is photographic because she's a medical doctor and she remembers every detail. I don't. I jump around. But, uh, but anyway, that's what happened. You ask how we met, that's how we met. Very we were cool. married. Uh, from that time in that service, I think we were married four months later. Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. proposed? Her siblings had a cow. They just like, what is this? Huh? Who proposed? What? I did. Yeah. Um, I asked her, I said, I asked her, uh, there's a lot more to the story. I'm writing a book right now about it. You can read it when I get it done. But um, I asked her first, I said, you know, if, what do you want? Do you just want a lover? Do you want a partner? Do you want to, is marriage a part of what you want? I said, as far as I'm concerned, it could be any of those things. I'm, I'm happy with what we have. You're a great lover. You're a great partner. You're a soulmate. I feel like we, I never liked the word soulmate, but I do now. And, uh, and when I said, or if some time in the hypothetical future, would you, would you ever want to be married? She, her face just lit up and she grabbed me and said, yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> Which was really cool. And, uh, and I was surprised cause I, I didn't know. And she'd been single for 20 something years, I think, raising, raising the boys alone. So, um, Anyway, that was like December. We went out and I found a, we found a nice ring. And uh, I found out that Hungarians wear their engagement rings on their left hand. And when you get married, you move 
if you have a diamond, you move it and the wedding band is put on the right, the right hand. It's the opposite as in the States, which was interesting. Hmm. Um, so we uh, bought a ring and about, I don't know, the city, the city of Page has rules and they said, uh, you have to wait two months. You have to wait 60 days. You just can't go get married, which is a cool deal. So we did. And February 25th will be our second anniversary coming up. And we got married in a very old city building that's been remodeled. And it's called the House of Happiness is a Hungarian. I mean, it, it's got a Hungarian name, but that's a, that's the English translation of the name of the building where they do the civic ceremonies. And uh, it was really fun. It was a great time. So anyway, that's our story. When I was about uh, 11 years old, I lived in a place called Westport, Connecticut, and I had a bicycle. And uh, as you guys know, I'm hearing impaired. I don't hear, I couldn't hear well. My parents didn't believe in hearing aids. So I, I had, a, I was alone a lot. And I used to ride my bike to this stream, a pretty good sized stream out in the woods behind my school a couple miles Westport's a beautiful place. Um, anyway, I go to the stream underneath a bridge. A ro uh, the road went over the went over the stream, and I would go underneath where there was nobody, and I had a lot of privacy. And I used to throw rocks in the in the creek and just kind of sit there for hours. And that's that's where I, at that age, where I would pray. That was my sacred spot, and. Uh, and I can remember as clear as a bell praying and saying, God, if it's at all possible, someday it would be so cool if you would bring someone into my life who loves me, who loves me with all my weird stuff, my good stuff and my weird stuff. And as I prayed that, I had a very strong, for lack of a better word, um, experience of the holy or numinous experience where I felt in my heart that there was this feminine presence. And I don't know if the, at the time I didn't know what the feminine presence was because I couldn't see a face, but I could feel the aroma. I know that sounds strange, but I could physically feel the aroma of a person and I could smell the scent of their hair. I could feel in the very air the texture of their skin and their and their clothing. And it was just a sense of, Peter, there is someone who loves you. And and you will meet her. You will meet her. And during that church service here in Page, a couple of years ago, during the, during the Mass, and we had that numinous experience of the spirit, that's what I felt again. It was a renewal of that experience from when I was about 11. And uh, so, yeah, I had to go halfway around the world to find the person that I've known my whole life in, in, in this way I've known. And, and what's fascinating is that for Monica, she has had the same experience. The same kind of experience. So, you know, I hope this this is encouraging to people. Well, you know, we've been recording this this interview for almost forty five minutes, 
And I hate to say, but the first episode is going to have to be more or less over at this point because you just couldn't stop rambling on about your beautiful wife. So that means that we've got to do this at least in a second episode. So for those of you listening to the show right now, hold on until next week because we're going to continue this discussion with Peter Fritsch. been listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Anna. And I'm Jeff. And if you'd like to hear podcasts of our shows, you can always go to our website, shifthappens.media, or contact us at our email address, contact.shifthappens at gmail.com. So we're going to end the show off with a couple tracks, Peter Gabriel's Blood of Eden, and then a track by Luke Satal Singh called Benediction. And any of you out there who have lost a loved one, someone that's died on you, you'll really appreciate this song. It'll touch you and it'll probably bring a tear to your eye. So I apologize for that. But sometimes tears are a good thing. So that's the end of our show. And we'll see you next week. I'm Jeff. And I'm Anna. Enjoy. Enjoy.